You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Welcome to Foundation Radio. My name is Adam Bernard. Thank you again for joining me so much. My guest today is my friend, former roommate, and country music singer-songwriter Rob Snyder. How are you, sir? Thank you for being on the show. Man, I'm great. It's good to see you, buddy. It's been a while. It's been quite some time. I think it was 2018, the last time I, I think I saw you in person down there in uh, beautiful, scenic Nashville. But uh, it is great to see you here virtually. How was your yep. night tonight? It sounds beautiful where you are. How is uh, How is everything going where you're at? Well, my wife is putting down our our, uh, our daughter right now to sleep, and she's three, so she gets a little rowdy. So I, I had to come outside because I don't really have a space to myself in, inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. Courtney was just leaving uh, here as I was getting ready to set up, and I was like, babe, can you just make sure you lock the door? Because I know it's bedtime, and someone's coming through the door, and I don't want to have to edit anything at this point. So <laughs> yeah. uh, it's great to see you, man. I've been following everything you've been doing, and it's just amazing to see the trajectory that's going on in your career right now and in your life. But I wanted to just I wanted to get an idea because I'm not sure if we ever really talked about this. But um, when did you know that you wanted to sing and you wanted to make music? Was there like a flashpoint moment for you in your life when you were a kid? Tell, kind of walk me through that. I don't I don't think it was a thing that like directly happened with me. It was uh, I knew music was a thing at a very young age. Um, and specifically, it brought me back to I remember my babysitter's name. Uh, her name was Linda Flaherty. I was on Plymouth Road in Springfield, Pennsylvania. She played me the movie La Bamba. And I ran home after watching it, you know, after the plane goes down, it was like, not my Richie. And, and I had these Encyclopedia Britannicas. And that was the thing that like it just got me engulfed in music and I remember my dad had the vinyl record of La Bamba and I was like dad play La Bamba and then it was you know I think I was in first grade and I was sitting in the back of the bus with the eighth graders talking about Guns N' Roses songs and stuff like that and then I remember you know faking sick as a at a very young age just so I could watch MTV or or sneaking out you know Sneaking, staying, not sneaking out, but staying up late and watching like Headbangers Ball at a very, very young age, and it was always just music. I was drawn to it, um, till I guess I got a guitar at maybe eleven or twelve years old. Didn't really like guitar lessons, and still to this day, I'm not much of a guitar player. But I just always loved music. I just it was one of those things where I see it in my daughter too. Like if she hears me play a sad song, she'll kind of like be very dramatic and you know it's just it's just funny watching her it's a it's like an empathy thing where you like you feel the song and uh i just it's just always been a part of me my mom was in plays in high school and stuff and i just remember her singing around the house all the time and just music's always just kind of been the background no i and i i remember listening to you we lived on south walnut street 204 shout out to alex roman and uh paul costello Uh, we, we roomed together, I think it was for about eight months or so, but I remember like I would, I would wake up in the morning or come home from work at Lemoncello, which I feel like everybody and their mom worked there at some point. Um, but I remember coming home and listening to you strum 
And just the way that your voice echoed off the stairs, I just remember being like, God, this guy's going to be something someday. Like, I just remember having that feeling like it was incredible. Like it was, it's a natural talent. And I, and I, I was, I was always amazed to listen to you sing. Now, when we talk about country music, cause that's really where you landed. What drew you to country music as opposed to like, you know, maybe Guns N' Roses style or, or anything you heard on Headbangers right. Ball? Well, so I started off with, uh, I started a band when I was 19 years old. I was uh, enrolled. I say enrolled because I didn't go to class a whole lot, but I went to Villanova University for the better part of like seven and a half years, and I did graduate. But um, I just I just started a band, and that band was just, you know, all original music. We never played a cover once. I think we played Mustang Sally. That was the only cover we ever played, and that was with Joe Frazier because one of our, our bass player, Chuck Bonner, his dad was, I think, Joe Frazier's uh, – lawyer and they were good buddies and we were in media you know underage drinking in a bar i forget what the, the place was called bootleggers all right on main street and in, in, uh in media pa and we used to play there and they'd give us you know chicken fingers and a bar tab so that was that was like how it started uh with me playing playing out really because before that it was just playing with you know playing around friends and family but uh i really got into country music because there was a time when radio kind of went free FM where, where they were playing a lot less commercials. And at the time I was doing a landscaping job and there just was not commercials on the country station. And 92.5 WXU is like the local Philly station. But back then they would play, I mean, this is the era when like Brooks and Dunn and stuff like that would, would be on. And I remember they would play classic country too, which, you know, it wasn't super classic, but I heard this song, Three Wooden Crosses, that kind of stopped me in my tracks because in a very short period of time, I lost uh, three close friends of mine that I went went to high school and then college with. And uh, the first was uh, Pat Cotter, who was a good buddy of mine, and then another one was Kevin Kerr, and then a, another one was Missy Harrell. And I went to Villanova with her and we were super close. And when I heard the song and it was just like about, you know, about seeing three wooden crosses on the, on the right side of the highway, it just kind of was one of those things that like stops you in your tracks and sends chills up your spine. And the band was already done at this point, And I just kind of grabbed that guitar again from my parents' house. I think at the time I was living on Neil street and just kind of lost, man. I didn't know what I was doing with like anything in my life. Like, I, I was barely getting by in college. I was probably on my like third senior year, you know, just, I just didn't want to do it. It wasn't for me. Um, but I also did not know what I wanted to do. So I was like, you know what? My roommate at the time, Anthony Capello, he had a uh, MacBook and it had GarageBand. And I just literally, I have no experience in recording anything, but I would just start playing chord progressions. And I'm like, I, I could do that. It's country music. How hard can it be? You know, it's three chords and just tell your story. So I started doing that, played it for my friends, played it for my family, played it for my family's friends. They all were like, wow, it's, you know, it's pretty good. You should go to Nashville. So I did. I went to Nashville my first time in 2008, tried out for the Bluebird and I was so nervous. And, uh, I just remember about six weeks later, I got a letter back in my parents' house. Cause at that point I was moved back in with my parents for like the third time. And it was like, keep trying, keep writing songs, come see us again. You know, basically saying like, you don't have what it takes right now. 
And uh, that's all I needed to hear. I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to really like dig into this. And I just got fired up about it. And, uh, you know, it just, it was something that I just started to do. I started to study country music, like all the way back from like Merle Travis to like present day at the time was like the Toby Keith and all that kind of stuff. But I couldn't really relate to the the whole cowboy lifestyle either. Mm -hmm. I was like, I did not grow up. I mean, it is ironic that my parents have a little horse farm in in westchester but i didn't you know when we moved to westchester from delaware county i was like why does it smell like you know it smells like horse shit i don't i don't really this is weird (laughs) but it was weird too because then it was like you know at the same time that house is like where i'm in college and i'm and i'm with my buddies like watching these the the cky videos and stuff and that's where they're throwing the dummy off the, the the little overpass by the train tracks and I'm like, okay, well, this is kind of cool. And then, you know, obviously meet some of those guys and all that. But um, to answer your, you know, the long-winded response was, um, you know, when, when I was, I got real friendly with uh, Ryan Dunn, it was, you know, it was actually the last night we were even together. Um, we were talking about just life in general, and we really just kind of, I made a pact to him. I was like, man, I'm going to go do this. And he was like, well, I could hook you up with my, you know, my, my good buddy, Roger Allen Wade, which is so weird. Now I'm playing a songwriter festival with him at the Florabama in, um, in orange beach on, uh, I think it's November 16th, 17th and 18th. And it's like, now I'm actually like playing a show with him. It's just wild. Yeah. Um, and but anyway, like that was that was it. I was just like, man, I'm gonna go really try this because I mean, you know as well as I do, I did so many like Rob Snyder last show before he moves to Nashville. I did like five or six of those, and I just never moved. And <laughs> you know, out of the tragedy of everything that happened, yeah. I was like, I felt like I just kind of wore out my welcome everywhere I went. I was just such a lost soul at the time, and I was like, well, you got to go do this. Like something was keeping me up at night, and it was just like I, I have to go see what I can do. So that's that's the long winded version of, of how I got to actually move to Nashville. Now I, I, I have a question before we get into Ryan, cause I definitely want to talk about that. Um, cause it is sure. part, of, it is part of your story, but, um, yep. I know I've, I've heard a lot of musicians say at some point in their career or some point in their life that once they got the bug, that was it. There was nothing that they ever wanted to do there. They never wanted to do anything, but make music at that point. Is there a specific moment in your life in that in that timeline where you were like, yep, this is it. I'm never doing anything again, and it doesn't matter what I do, but this is it. This is the only track I'm ever going to be on. I want to say that it really, it really got me when, like, after the whole thing with Ryan happened, that uh, a guy named Brent Cobb came, and I think I was, I was working as a booking agent and a bartender at the Pale Horse, which was Spence Cafe, and they had me booking people. So like I would, I would book shows, but I would book shows with people that I'd want to open for. So I was kind of double dip in there. And, uh, I remember meeting Brent Cobb and just, he's, you know, he's a few years younger than me, but he was just so ahead of his time to this day. He's like one of the best songwriters in Nashville. And I think in the world and, uh, just seeing that he was like, yeah, this is what I do. And he was living, breathing and eating it. It wasn't just like, Oh, I got my buddies in Pennsylvania. He's like, he's going to do this all over the world. And I, that was infectious to me. So I would say meeting him and then going and like writing songs. I actually stayed with him the first time I went to Nashville and I did my first actual demo in a studio with where you, you basically have a work tape, which is like a voice memo 
where you play it down for them, for the studio musicians, you know, tell them about the song. They'll change a couple parts as far as structure wise. And then all of a sudden, you know, you sing your vocal and two days later it's mixed and they're sending it to you. Walking out of that studio was the highest I've ever felt in my life. And I think that was the exact moment where I was like, all right, I made a promise. I'm going to be here. You know, I said I'd be there by the time I'm 30 years old. I'm 41 now. And uh, I got there a couple days late, and that was also kind of funny because I didn't get there until April 1st. Uh, it was April Fool's Day. So I was finally in Nashville, and I wrote it, you know, on Facebook. I'm like, I'm finally here. People are like, sure you are. You know, I'm sure you'll be back soon. But it was it was coming coming here and really doing the thing, like doing doing the process of demoing song. And, and that, that, was, that was what really got me going. Now, I know, like I said, you touched on it a little bit, um, but I, you know, we have the mutual connection as well with the, the CKY jackass crew. Um, me, I was sort of more on the Bam Novak side and you were more on the, the Ryan Dunn side, yeah. but everything kind of meshed together. And I don't think we really knew that we were friends with the other until like, I don't know, maybe a month after we lived together. And then I remember you yeah. going out with Ryan and, and Zach and those guys. Um, yeah. And then that night happened, uh, June, yeah. June 22nd, uh, 2011 or June 20th, yeah. rather 2011. Um, yeah. Walk me through that night um, at the bar because I know, like I said, the, the 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 there's there's a an unfortunate famous photograph that you're a part of in that in you know yeah. that's that's circulating around still. Um, walk me through that night. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that the reason why we even took that photo was like I was talking to Ryan about Twitter and stuff, and he was like, "Oh yeah, you got to do a Twitter." I don't. I think I might have created the Twitter before, but I was like, "How do I? How do I tweet? How do I tweet?" I was like, "I don't know what this is." And, uh, again, we were just kind of talking forever and, and, uh, we took that picture and I was in the middle of, uh, Zach and Ryan. And like I said, man, we just kind of talked about everything. The thing that really sucks is it was father's day mm. and, you know, I got done hanging out with my dad and I'll never forget, you know, I, the Phillies were on and that's what, and, and Ryan was big and always like watching the Phillies and like, you just wouldn't expect them to be like, you know, sports guy. I know he was. I was excited because, you know, he had some fame. So, like, I became friends with a guy named Owen Schmidt, who was the fullback for the Eagles, through Ryan. Mm. And Ryan would, you know, he'd be like, text Owen, be like, hey, my buddy Rob's a big Eagles fan. I don't want to go there. Those fans are crazy. But can can you give him two tickets? So he'd, like, slide me tickets and stuff like that. And it was just, uh, you know, it, we that, that was, like, backed up probably, like, a year or so before that. But, uh I called him and I was like, Hey dude, you want to come watch the fills? And he's like, yeah, man. And he came up to me and like, of course, like taps me on the left shoulder. And then I look to the, the right and he lays one on me, you know, kisses me on the face. And, you know, we ended up, you know, drinking, drinking a bit. And, you know, obviously what happened happened. And, uh, it was just a hanging out night. I mean, it was a sad thing too. And it's weird. I've talked about this so many times, but you know, it's like I called him to come hang out, and I still, you know, I think I carry that with me a lot that, you know, I'm like, what if he, you know, I didn't call him that night, you know? And I know that you can't be like that, and I can't I can't say it was, like, my fault or anything, but uh, I ended up not getting in the car. Obviously, it was, like, a giant I, – I, I was a giant, a much bigger person at the time. I was pretty, pretty heavy set, and uh, either way, they were in that little Porsche uh, 911, and – it's just crazy, crazy thinking about it. Even talking about it, like out loud now, it's just something that you, you know, you you never. It's never going to be a get over. And you can always play what if, but I decided 
that through that, I was like, you know, one of the promises I made, and I made a lot of promises in my life. One of the promises I made was I'm going to go and give this thing a shot. And uh, that was my driving force that really got me off my ass and, and moved me to Nashville. I remember when that happened. I remembered it pretty clearly when all that went down. And it just, it felt like there was almost a cloud over Westchester for months. Yeah. Because, yep. you know, again, and, and I'm not going to get into his personal things, and I, and I hope that he's doing well, but, you know, Bam Bam had his own things going on, but Dunn was yep. a, I, I think people don't really understand, and I, I only had the pleasure of meeting Ryan a handful of times. Um, I didn't really know him all that well, but it was very pleasant when I spoke to him. Um, I have a great story about Ryan, which I think I shared with the firefighting thing. And, yep. um, and he just universally liked by everybody. And I just yep. remember it being just really dark for a while. Yeah. And I know that we had spoken, you know, in between then, cause I want to give you space. And then I was doing the radio show at WCUR and you had wrote yeah. a song called angels and you came in yeah, to yeah. do the acoustic version of that. Um, and you said in there about, you felt like it was the day that the, you felt like it was uh, the day that music died. And you talked about going to Nashville to Megan with, uh, with Dunn. And then you made some references to Waylon Jennings and, and then eventually you went and recorded in that studio. Is that correct? Tell me more about, about that process. Yeah, so, so that's actually like, I ended up, doing that song that was the demo i did there i mean then looking back i mean it was a song i had to write it was a song for me and no one else it's not like what i do now where it's like as far as writing for other artists like no one else is gonna grab that song and say oh this you know that was something i had to do for me so but yeah we did it you know we did it in a whalen jennings studios called legend studio it's i think someone bought it since um or they're not even the way Nashville is now, it could be a hotel already. Who knows? Wow. But uh, yeah, um, but yeah, we just went in and did it, and uh, yeah, it's crazy, man. It's just, it's wild. Even it's just, it's wild. The whole, the whole thing, the way that happened. But that was, uh, I forgot we even did that, man. Yeah. I remember I came out of your studio, but man, that was a while ago. And it was so random too, because it was like I think we had, like I said, we had been texting during that time very frequently. You know, I I, I never really know what to say in those kinds of situations, and I know that yeah. shit was kind of crazy for you for a while. So I was like, I'm just gonna check in with Rob, let him know he's okay. Yeah. Just, hey, he's okay, he's good. Check in with you when you can. And the invitation was always open for you to come on the show. And I remember, I think, like I said, I think you texted me. You were like, "Hey, I want to come by the show tonight." I was like, "Dope, this is great." You know, oh, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna play a record too. And it was just like I had the recording of it still too. And I remember just being. Yeah. I remember just being blown away by it and just being like, this you're right. Like it's such a, a deeply personal song, but I think it hits so much more when you know about that connection there. But yeah, um, I, like I said, I, so you moved to Nashville um, and I saw you, you were down, you had a, like a, a live music event down there, right? You were at now re refresh me of the name on that, that you do down there. It's the, yeah. the so revival, started, right? Revival. Yeah. I started that. Um, man, when I got to Nashville, I didn't have anything. My parents, it was like the let they've helped me forever. Um, and I, I moved there with nothing. I, uh, literally they bought me a minivan off my grandmother's neighbor. And, uh, I just, I didn't have a job. I didn't have money. I just went and I ended up breaking up a fight at this bar called losers. Um, got a job as a, a door guy, friends of mine that I met through Ryan Davison brothers, Ben, uh, they got me a gig playing downtown on Broadway, and I realized quickly that I did not want to be that guy um, just playing cover songs. I was like, I'm here to write songs. And then I started uh, working next door to Losers at a place called Winners where they have Whiskey Jam, 
And that was like a full band showcase where they play three songs. And I was like, man, I want to do something like this, but I really want to do something about, you know, songwriting. And then I met, met this guy named Cody Walden and we started this thing called revival where we had a church pew and it was great, man. It was awesome. We, we started it in 2012. So I was in Nashville for, I mean, maybe a year when this happened, almost a year. And, uh, it kind of took off for a while and really went strong up until COVID. Mm. Um, ironically enough, I had a guy that moved to town from Westchester that I grew up 15 minutes from named Vinny Paolizzi, who is a great songwriter, uh, an artist, singer, songwriter. And, uh, he texted me or instant messaged me or something like that and was like, Hey, I really want to play revival. And I saw his number, you know, of course I roll my eyes. I'm like Vinny Paolizzi's from Philly. I saw the four, eight, four number. And I said, I just wrote back. I was like, do you like the Eagles? And he goes, the band and the football team very much. So, and I was like, call me right now. And then we've been friends ever since, but, but he kept it going because, you know, I had a baby coming on yeah. in 2020. I got married 2019 and then literally it was like my wife was pregnant in December and then the world shut down in March and I was, I went nuts, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, I got a time to time to, I, they didn't have betterhelp.com then, but I did something similar and got on the, got on the horn with my therapist and have been talking to him ever since. So that's, that's wonderful, uh, man. That's great. Yeah. Man. So, uh, we kept it going and then it just, we kind of split ways with Tin Roof. It's just, there's been a lot of riffraff like around Demumbrian Street, Nashville. I can't even stress how much it's growing, and there's been like shootings and stuff. And now, especially having a kid, it's like I don't need to be around that stuff. And I'm getting older too. I also don't need to be out till one in the morning on a Tuesday night either. Yeah. Um, but uh, we started doing it again at a place called Rock and Doe in the Nations, and, and we do like what I call old man hours. So we start at five, and we're done by like nine o'clock. I'm like, I can I can handle that, and it's only once a month, opposed to every Tuesday because we used to do it every Tuesday. But yeah, that was the thing that you were at, and uh, man, that it was great for so long. I do miss it, and I know the town misses it too. It was a lot of fun, man. You know, I, I it was the first time I'd been in Nashville. Uh, you know, it was uh, I was there for a job interview, and I was just trying to get accustomed to the local scene and whether or not I was going to even like it. And I remember that was the part that stuck out to me the most was the fact that it felt like everywhere I went, there was just live music everywhere. And the, everywhere. the performances that were going on, I, I, I wish I could remember the name of the artist, but I remember just like it was a vibe, right? Like it was an experience. Yep. And I think that's yep. what I took away from that town was like, if you're going to go and do these things, you got to find spots like revival or at the tin yep. roof, right? You got to go and experience this live, but, sure. um, Absolutely. So, so now you, you so, uh, so tell me about, cause I know, like I said, you're, you're, you're down in Nashville, you're doing the revival and then you start writing music and then you start connecting with all these different people. One of which becomes arguably one of the biggest country stars in the world right now, Luke Combs. How did yeah. that relationship start? Through Revival. Wow. Um, yeah, he heard about it. I, you know, it made its way to North Carolina and beyond, and a lot of guys were playing there. We had a lot of big-name people playing. So uh, he came up to me and, you know, just shorts, khaki shorts and Crocs and, you know, his fishing shirt on, which is funny because we, we, we were out to, at a dinner thing, and I was like, this is comfortable. So he wears these kind of shirts and uh, – and uh, he just came up and he was like, hey, man, I'd love to play. And then he asked me if uh, we could write sometime. And I said, sure. And the first song we ever wrote was She Got the Best of Me. And that was a song that completely changed my life. You know, I got to got to get a ring for my wife and 
a backyard for my dog and, you know, get a house and it just start. That's how, once you get one big one, then the doors start to crack open for you. I was going to say, it feels like that, that trajectory just keeps going. When, when did you know that she got the best of me was taking off the way that it was? Cause obviously those kinds of things don't just, it feels like it doesn't just happen, right? Sometimes it feels like it does. Like you're listening to the radio and then you're like, Oh yeah, this is, I know this record's yeah. great, but, um, what was that? What was that all like? Well, man, I mean, honestly, he recorded it and put it out and we were, the, my other friend Channing Wilson and I wrote it with him. We were originally kind of mad that he did it. We were trying to find a big country artist to, to do it, and he put it out on a Vine, a Vine video, which was that six-second videos that used to be out, kind of like a baby TikTok years ago. And um, he put it out, and then we were, you know, it was big. His career started to get moving. He had a song go to radio, Hurricane. He put out an album. And she got the best of me. Was not on the album, and but I think his manager and label at the time, uh, his manager still to this day is Chris Cappy, real good guy. They noticed that they were singing "She Got the Best of Me" as loud, if not louder, than the, the radio single. And once you have a single go to radio, I mean, country station, I think there's like a hundred and somewhere between 120, 160 country stations across the country. And, uh, you know, once you start to see that, they're like, well, this is a no brainer. And they put out a couple more singles. And then he, he called Channing and I and said, Hey guys, I'm putting out a deluxe version of the record and she got the best of me's going to be on it. And it's going to be a single. And that's when I knew I was like, okay. And then I heard it on the radio and I was like, holy smokes. And it, it just, you know, this was not now where if he puts out a song, it flies up the charts. It'll stay there, but you know, it flies. You want one to kind of be like a slow burner and get up there. But I mean, we were at number two on the backside of number one for a while. It stayed at number one. It was a four week number one. And then it just, it was a recurrent hit for like a long time. I mean, you could still turn on, regular pop country station now and it's like it's gonna come on wow so yeah that was that was the big one and then from there you know you get new publishing deals and it was a weird time too because it's like i had all that happen in 2019 signed with uh 50 egg music but that luke is actually a um a co-owner of with jonathan singleton and tally canterbury and then COVID happened mm. So it turned into like meetings like this, like on Zoom. And I wrote my butt off uh, during that. I actually wrote a song that went like it was the top of the Billboard charts for like, I think it was like two weeks. Like it just Luke, we wrote it, me, him and Brent Cobb. It was called Six Feet Apart. And then all of the, uh, you know, statues started getting tore down and uh, the whole like, you know, riots in the city and everything and no one was six feet apart at that time so uh they switched gears and either way i was proud to be a part of a timepiece of a song they moved on to a different song i thought i was gonna have another one there but either way it was it was cool but i mean to this day i mean i still get luke always reaches out to get in the room and always have an opportunity i have the title track on his um new album called growing up and getting old and uh, got to hear him play that at you know, at the Titan Stadium. He gave me a huge shout out at the Link, which was awesome. I had tons of friends and family there, so it's just it's wild. It's wild. Country music's tough, though, man. It's like 
you know, like you were saying, if you, if you, you know, you just don't know how big of a song it's like pretty much it's feast or famine for songwriters these days do do streaming. So like, if I, if I have a song on Luke's record and it's not a single, like it's going to make money, but as a, you know, I'm going to make point zero 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 one on a stream. It goes to whoever owns the masters. Mm. So unless I have a song going to active radio, and getting radio play like that's how you're gonna make money like right now i have a single weirdly enough uh on rock radio with a guy named tim montana who's been in nashville forever he's you know been banging the road out and everything and we ended up writing this real rocking song and he texts me one day he's like dude we're going to rock radio i think it's like number 30 right now and it's called the devil you know i wrote that with him eric dylan and mike fiorentino and uh, so, yeah, and I, I don't know that world. I don't know how many rock stations there are. I mean, I know it. I grew up listening to it, but it's just like I just don't know what what that even means. Well, I think it's it's also different, too, because like you said, the streaming world has kind of just it's it's eaten the radio world alive. Right. Like everybody goes to streaming and it's, it's there. And unless you have a record like, you know, she got the best of me or something else and it, it's it takes off. It's like you said, I mean, you yeah. remember from the CKY days, you remember how quick they went up yep. and I remember yep. all the issues that they had with Roadrunner and, and Island Def Jam. And it was just, it's, it's, it's a very complicated world. And I don't think people understand when they get into it, they think, oh yeah, you know, I, I have one song and you know, I'm sure as you know, and I'm sure as you could tell me, yeah, you have one song, but you're thinking about the next 10 songs down the line because this song may not last that long. You know, like this may be the first one you have for a little bit. It could be hot, hot for a little bit, but now you have to move to the next thing. Oh, I mean, dude, I mean, it's honestly, you have to write, for me, it's write the song and move on to the next song. I have to, every once in a while, remind myself, you know, do I go send these songs to certain artists and be like, hey, man, this might be good for you or whatever. And even then, it's like, you don't want to be too pushy and just be the guy that's just texting songs to artists all the time. Because there's only a handful of people on the radio right now. Yeah. You know, there's like maybe 15, 16 and in a town where there used to be like thousands of professional signed published songwriters, there's about 300 songwriters right now. So, I mean, I'm very lucky to be in that, but even out of those 300, it's a very small percentage that, that are, that are eating well, if you know what I mean, like that are like really getting it. It's uh, I'm, it, again, it's, it's, I, you meet people in your life and you know that these people are going to be destined for something. And like I said, I, you know, I always try to hype up and give the people that I know and the people that I love the flowers while they're here. Right. It's a thing for me. And I always knew that that was going to be you, you know, so seeing all these successes that you had and seeing all these things happening, it's like, yeah, of course, of course, Rob was going to blow up. Like I had no <laughs> doubt in my mind this was going to happen, you know, and it's just, it's, oh. it's, it's cool, man. I, I saw that shout out from, from Luke Combs, from a couple different people on, on Instagram. People that I, yeah. you know, I think that that I follow and some that I don't. And I was like, holy shit, that's a massive moment. That is a sold out concert that you're getting your name shouted out at. And it's just, yeah. it's cool, I'm a, man. I'm a, I'm a giant Eagles fan, too. So to do it there and, and he goes, so for, for you, buddy, go birds. And then, I mean, that's obviously the right thing for him to say there, too. It's awesome. <laughs> right. It's the, it, you have to genuflect when you come in the church. That's what happens. That's how you do it. Right. So um, so tell me about tell me about your wife and kid, man. I don't know if I've ever really we talked about it. So your daughter was born during covid. I try, yeah. to, I try to talk to people about this as well, just in general. But um, how difficult was that, you know? with your wife having your daughter during COVID, like what was that like in the hospital? Was it frustrating? Like, is it, is it, is it as, yeah. as insane as it sounds? 
It was. I mean, I watch I watched the news a lot for those first two months, and then my wife came to me and she was like, "You need to like get it together, or like I'm going to be going somewhere else with this baby in my belly." Because, I, dude, I was nuts. I was watching. I was washing the mail. I was spraying Lysol. I was one of those people. Like guilty as charged, right here too, man. We were pulling. I rem- I can. I have vivid recollections of walking through Walmart with. Uh, dishwasher gloves on the yellow ones because you didn't have yep. gloves and we unpackaged everything we scrubbed the cardboard dude i'm i'm with you man we were there yeah yeah i was i was just, i was losing it so i mean i remember one day i stayed up all night and i'm just watching trump yell about china and stuff like that and cap caps locks on twitter and i just stayed up all night and i was like hey babe um we're going to go get some guns tomorrow and then we're going to go to the grocery store and then we're going to go hit the liquor store and we're going to load up. And she's like, okay. Like she was like, Oh, we're getting a gun. That's cool. Like whatever. <laughs> and like, I'm not a big gun guy at all, but I was like, we're going to go get guns. And we went and did that. And you know, we, we would like have two different, you know, we'd have my friend Colleen come over like once every two weeks. We'd be like, everyone feeling good, you know? And then she'd stay for four days. And like, that was our socialization for that month. And then we'd have uh, our, my other uh, friends, Jill and E, they would come over and like, you know, it would be like, hey, we're going to come over. Or that, but if someone like had a sniffle, it'd be like, you know, we're not we're not going to do that. And then eventually it was just, you know, you got to start getting back out. But it was a very weird transition, especially with a newborn where you're 13 hours away from your friends and family where we would get a break. We'd be able to in, in the past, which, you know, what you see is like, you have a baby, pass the baby around and you get to relax, like drink a beer or just exhale for a second. And everyone's just goo goo gaga all over the baby. It was just us, us and our dog, my poor dog, Tucker. He, he, uh, I think he was, he's going to be eight. So he was like five. I mean, he looked like he aged four years in those couple of years, like big time. Like he's got white on his face now. And like we gave him a lot of walks outside. And we were in this nice little neighborhood, too, over in Bellevue on the west side of Nashville. And we lived there for two years. And then we got an opportunity to move out to the country um, and uh, never look back, man. Absolutely love it out here. It's just you can see the stars at night. And uh, it's, it's helped me because I've struggled with, like, anxiety issues and stuff for a long time. And, and it's it's been a blessing just to be able to be out in the woods, man. It's been been fun. That's awesome, man. Tell me about fatherhood, man. How dope is it? I know it already, and I know you do, but it's just, it's any chance I get to talk about being a dad is perfect. Man, it's it's the best. It's it's definitely a young man's game. I know I got into it uh, a little later in life, but uh, man, if that doesn't make you better, I don't know what will. It's just, there's something about just looking at that, you know, looking at your kid and, and they're just so happy to see you. I, we had a birthday party at my parents' house, and I walked outside, and Amelia was just grabbing me by the hand. She goes, that's my daddy. That's my daddy. And it's just like, if that doesn't make you feel good, nothing's going to. It, and it, especially being a girl dad, too. You know, I have, you know, I have two boys. I have two girls, and, and it's just having a daughter is just such a, just a cool experience. I don't know. It's, you, you summed it up perfectly there. It's like this little human that loves you so much that wants to spend all their time with you. Like I just, I had to stay over at work yeah. for a couple of days because uh, it's budget season at work, which sucks. And I came home and she just literally just beeline for the door, man. And just jumped up and I grabbed her and I was just like, all right, this is life, man. This is life. Like I, how can it possibly get any better than this right in this moment? 
man, it's really, it's all that matters. And like with that comes added stress and added pressure too. Cause yeah. it's like, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, but it's like, you have to, you know, you got to bring home the bacon, you got to pay the bills. And it's like music business getting harder and harder. I was getting very frustrated, um, in 2021 just cause there was like no action going on. No, nothing was happening. And, uh, I joked for years about just starting this like rock reggae project with a couple buddies. And then finally I talked with Jess who I became, you know, after Ryan passed, I became pretty close with Jess hanging out and just talking music and everything. We even did a, a Def Leppard cover of uh, lady strange. And I sang on that with uh, April Margera. But from that, from doing that one time, he was like, well, come do the record here. And we did it. And it's called a uh, sea creature. It's S E E creature. And, uh, we put out some music and, uh, we actually have another single coming out on the 29th of, uh, September called outlaw. But we, we went in, we did a couple covers and man, it was just like that, that really made me fall back in love with music. Cause it was like, at the time I was just so frustrated. Like I'm going and doing all these songs and all these rights. And, and there's very high fences around different camps. Like, where, yes, I'm lucky that I get to write with Luke Holmes. Um, there's other guys that are blowing up in country music that are, like, pissed, you know, that they never got in that camp. So then their walls are up. And then it's like Nashville is not what it was, you know, 10 years ago where when I moved, you know, I'll be 12 years in April. It'll be like it used to be like the, the best song wins no matter what. Well, now with streaming, it's like the artist wants to be a writer and there's a lot of great artists that are writers, but it's just, there's just not a lot of, not a lot of pieces of pie to go around. If you know what I mean? So you just gotta, gotta, you gotta show up to work every day. I mean, and just do the best you can. And you know, like we were saying, it's like, there's not much you can do after you write the song. You, you just, it's a numbers game. Just keep cranking them out and just try to be fresh and, Try not to go crazy uh, in this business, and then hopefully you'll be all right. <laughs> and one thing I do want to touch on before I wrap up uh, was your solo album that came out during pandemic, obviously. It was called yeah. uh, The Way That I Am. Love the records, fantastic, which, of course, it is. Um, tell me more about that process. Did you record it pre-COVID? Was it during that time? And then do you feel like it was stunted because, like, the release was stunted because of the pandemic? So I always wanted to do it, and the, pretty much every song was written ye years. I mean, maybe only two of them. It was recorded in late 2019, um, but I didn't – I didn't, really didn't the, – the whole, like, playing shows thing isn't really, like, my thing anymore. I, I like doing the songwriter rounds where you can tell the stories behind, and I'm, I'm so grateful that I get invited to do these things. I play songwriter festivals and – playing down an island hopper uh which is in fort myers beach the end of this month and like i always get to play some cool ones i'm playing frank brown in november at florabama i do the qs songwriters festival stuff like that but i just like playing you know telling like three to five songs i'm good yeah. you know and sitting down you know i'm good with that it's where you have to like grab the band and there's nothing wrong with that but get in the van and, and and rough it i just did that for so many years and i just lost so much money doing it i just didn't love it and, and it's a grind you know it is a grind now for the sea creature thing if we get opportunities to open up for somebody bigger and, and like go out a couple weekends like yeah that's different like it's fun it's energetic we're playing a show actually in uh acoustic but in long beach island for the jetty 
rock foundation. It's uh, called a celebration on 68th Street in Long Beach Island. We're doing that on October 7th. Um, so that'll be fun. But if I if I have like one on the counter, I'm like, all right, that's cool. But besides that, it's just like the songwriter rounds is where that's my sweet spot. I like doing that kind of thing. Looking back at everything that's happened, you know, since from the time we've known each other and the time you picked up the guitar to now, do you feel grateful about where your career has gone and the things that you've been able to do in spite of all the tragedy that's happened? A hundred percent, man. I mean, I live, you know, I live in the woods. I got great neighbors around me. I have a great wife. I have a great daughter, a great dog, and it easily could not have gone that way. So I definitely feel like, you know, there's that saying, if you want to hunt lions, you got to be where the lions are. But I had to do a lot of work on myself in order to get where I am, too. And uh, I, have a, I have a tough time because I struggled for so long in everything in life, not just with music. I just struggled. And I have a tough time, you know, looking in the mirror and being like, man, you did a lot. And, and like, I think I need to you got to pat yourself on the back a little bit more than, than, than you do. But there's also that underdog thing that, that I work real well with too, where it's like when, when you get told no, it's like I never had a plan B. So it's like plan A's got to work. So I think for me it's it's wild to see that I'm here, but I'm also still hungry and I want a lot more. I want to, you know, I want to be able to do good for people. It's not about like, I'm not talking about like fancy cars and stuff like that. And I'm not trying to be the richest guy in the world or anything like that, but I just want to be, true to myself, true to my family. And if I can make a living doing that, then that's all that matters to me. Rob, it's been a pleasure catching up. It's always great getting a chance to talk to you. And, and I feel like we got to do this more often. I, I've been talking about coming down to Nashville, so I'm going to bring the kids down because I'm sure they're going to look at the stars down there. Tell everybody that's listening where they can find you on social media, what shows you have coming up, any big events. Let, where, where can they find you? Yeah. Um, just on, I'm, I'm, I gotta admit, man, I'm, I'm kind of terrible at the uh, the Facebook thing anymore. I, I found that I got hacked the other day. Oh, uh, no. Something. Well, I don't know. Someone was like, you need a blue check mark. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. And, like, I keep getting all these notifications about payments and stuff. But Instagram is the one I'm on the most. And that is just uh, at Big Rob Snyder, all one word. And then we have uh, Revival is uh, at Revival Roadshow. And then the Sea Creature stuff, if anyone wants to check out, is uh, at S-E-E Creature Music. And uh, all that music, all, I, I'm still putting out singles just as myself, Rob Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R. Uh, I put one out with a girl named Ashlyn Kraft a couple months ago, and I'm going to be dumping some more songs out like that. And then, uh, yeah, Tim Montana's got a song on rock radio called Devil You Know, so check that out too. Thank you so much for your time, Rob. I really appreciate it. And um, I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Adam. Great to see you, buddy. Great to see you too, man. Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and produced by Adam Barnard. Additional production and narration provided by Sam Kreps. The show was mixed and engineered by Carl Pinnell. Our intro and outro music was performed and produced by Dumb Ugly. Additional musical accompaniment provided by Enrichment. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Almy. Follow us on Twitter at FND Radio Pod and find our entire archive at foundationradio.net. This has been a Butts Carlton Media Production. Butts Carlton, proprietor.